I struggle like everyone, but my desire is to live a life that's characterized by Christ's concern for the poor. Every time I go to Cora, I pray that God will continue to break my heart for what breaks His. I never want to be indifferent to the needs of others. I never imagined myself taking trips across the globe to be in a garbage dump. But that's what it is. And I've learned that if you want to walk with God, you might not end up where you expected or with the people you expected. But it's there that God meets us and that we'll see Him do a great work. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. And today we are bringing you another story about adoption in Adoption Awareness Month. And these are so near and dear to my heart as a fellow adoptive mom and also from China. So you're going to hear in Suzanne's story from Katie, Texas, a little bit about that. Katie Dunn, do you want to tell us more? <laughs> well, as you said, Robin, her story is about adoption, but it's also so much more of just how God called her in so many different areas of ministry. It's going to challenge you in your faith walk, so get ready to be challenged. Here's Suzanne. We hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving last week. And before Suzanne's story, we just want to remind you at this time of year and this time of giving and year-end giving, please keep storytellers in mind. As you know, our mission is just to share everyday stories of hope in Jesus. And we are so thankful that this podcast is reaching women in other countries, Mm -hmm. in India, in Saudi Arabia. We have listeners in Africa. We literally have listeners in over 60 countries. And it's making a difference. And we want to get more Bible studies in the hands of women who may not have access to God's Word or who may not have access to dig deeper into Scripture. And so if you believe in our ministry, if you support our ministry, would you please consider giving to us financially? Go to storytellerslive.org. We are looking for monthly partners to be consistent givers to support our annual budget. You could simply give $25, $50, $100 a month. Heck, you can give $10 if, if that works for you, but it would make such a difference in the lives of women. So please donate today. Go to storytellerslive.org. Here's Suzanne. Christine introduced me. My name is Suzanne. Um, I'm a wife. I'm a mother to five kids, a sister a nonprofit founder, an amateur photographer, a gardener, at least I try to garden, <laughs> and a friend. I grew up in the church and I came to know Christ at a very young age. I vividly remember being in the car with my mom and asking, you know, just six or seven year old questions and deciding, okay, this, I want to be in heaven. I don't, I want to be in heaven with Jesus one day. And so really that's when I, I asked my mom what I needed to do. And to make that happen. And so I remember that. Um, and growing up, I had a healthy childhood and, and family life. In high school, I was involved in sports and played some sports year round. After high school, I went to Texas A&M University, and it was there that I met my husband, Kurt. He wasn't a believer, but he seemed open to the idea. And at the time, that was good enough for me. Well, two years later, we graduated and got engaged. We ended up in the town that I grew up in, and we also attended church at my home church. I went to church there since about probably fifth grade. So I knew a lot of people there and, and the pastor. One Sunday, Compassion International visited our church. I don't know if you guys know about Compassion, but it's a very large nonprofit that helps sponsor, you know, match people with people in need. So people with means with people in need. And you can sponsor children and um, just kind of write letters and be involved and, and really help families. And, and usually it's typically third world countries. So uh, 
that Sunday, we were looking at all the photos of the kids that needed help. You know, they're kind of laid out in packets on the counter, and there's people there to answer questions you might have. There are lots of young, cute, cute little kids. And it was almost like shopping. It was really, it was weird to me, but I thought, you know, this is how they do it. They put a name with a face and a need um, with a child. So we both agreed to select an older child because we felt like, oh, the cute ones get taken really fast. So we're going to go with an older child. Uh, we went with the, with the underdog, <laughs> so to speak. Um, a few months later, well, so we, we went ahead and we sponsored this, this boy. He was about 16 or 17. Um, and that started our little compassion journey. A few months later, we were married and we settled in Katy. This wasn't far from my hometown, so we weren't far away, but we decided that it would be best for us to find a church with some younger people, and my sister happened to live out here. So she was like, why don't you come to church with us? Her and her husband attended a local church, and they loved it. And so we came one day to Sunday school and met a ton of people. Some of you guys are in this room, and uh, that's where we decided to land. So we loved it. Um, We joined the Sunday school class, and we began attending the Young Marrieds class. Uh, It was here that we made some of the richest and deepest friendships that we still have today. Um, We just have built lifelong friendships and a good fellowship with people who know the Lord. Um, By 2009, we had welcomed three healthy boys to our family. Life was good. My husband's business had grown and allowed me to stay home with our boys, so I was able to quit work. Um, Sometime that year, my husband came home with a book. He likes to read. And learn. I'm, I'm like, I'm done with college. <laughs> I, I'm done with the learning thing. I'll read if I have time. But he brought a book home, and it was called The Hole in Our Gospel. I have it here. And it's written by Rich Stern, who is Rich Stearns, who at the time was the founder of World Vision. Um, and the book, really, we read it together. Kind of, you know, we shared the book. And it was a game changer for us, um, specifically in how we spent our money and how we spent our time. So this book asks the big question, what does God expect of us? And for those of you who spend time in God's Word, we know that God asks us for everything. He requires a a total life commitment for those who desire to follow Him. In his book, Rich says that if our personal faith has no positive outward expression, then our faith has a hole in it. In the book of James in the Bible, verse 218 says, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. In other words, make your faith public, make it real. At the time in my life, I had busied myself with three kids, Bible study, play dates, all good things, but I felt like something was missing. God was pricking my heart and preparing me for something more. The book reminded me that God can transform the world through His people, great and small, people like me, like you, our children, people in our community. So Kurt and I both finished the book, and we were kind of on the same page, which was important, obviously. (laughs) So I was grateful for that. We started with what we knew, which was compassion. We still sponsored, I believe at that time we might have sponsored two kids, and um, we decided that we would start there, so we sponsored more children. We also began to look around on the Compassion website just to see if there was anything more we could do or something else that we could be involved in. It's a very large organization, but while looking at the site, I came across something called the Mothers and Babies Program. So (laughs) with Compassion, you sponsor an individual child. And with the Mothers and Babies program, you could also do the same, but they paired you with a mom and a baby. So um, I think at my phase in, in life, that was I, – I found myself, oh, okay, I can relate because I'm a mom with three babies. And I also put myself in their position because I felt like I can't imagine not being able to care for my own children. So this really touched me, and I discussed it with Kurt. And then we got in touch with our local YMCA. Our children play sports there, and we got permission to have concessions, stands and stuff at the sports events put on by the Y. So I got friends and family, and we began to make a volunteer calendar, and people began to give their time at the games. They would sell concessions, and 
um, all the proceeds that were raised went to the Mothers and Babies program. I think I made bookmarks, like I passed them out. And I don't know, it was just something that I really I liked and I believed in. Uh, it was fun for us. It was a way to involve our children. And it was a way for other families to bring their children alongside too and have a reason for for doing it. Um, our children were getting a little bit older. I mean, not real old, but old enough. I think my youngest was maybe two or one and a half, but I had an older one that was six. So it was, it started conversations because we were compassion sponsors. We also received uh, the compassion magazine. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that, but it's a children's magazine and it comes to your house once. I think it may be once a quarter, but it has inside just little ways that you can sit and go through the magazine with your children and really relate other people's experiences in the world with ours. So kind of showing that not everybody lives like us, not everybody has what we have. Um, so this really opened up some conversations with our kids. Um, one day I was looking at the Compassion website. I don't know what I was doing, just looking around. And I stumbled across some posts, and they were from a blog of a girl named Kristen. She was a Compassion blogger, and she went to Kenya. And what Compassion did at the time, and they might even still do it, is they would take bloggers who had a really big audience – and they would take them to a certain country and then they would do like an eight day trip. And what they had, you know, amazing photographers who would do the photography. And then that blogger each day would write about their day, what they saw, what they did, um, how compassion works in these families and in these countries specifically that they were in. I read her first one and it was really intriguing. And I think I picked up in the middle of her trip. So I went back, read about her whole trip and I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. And so at the end, I somehow realized, I mean, I wasn't a blogger. I didn't read blogs at the time. I didn't have time to read books either. <laughs> but um, I, I realized that she had a, a regular blog. So I went there. I found myself looking there and reading and discovered that she had recently began a nonprofit, which came about from her compassion trip. While she was in Kenya, she discovered that many women were see- seeking backstreet abortions and dying because of it. A girl named Maureen was... Uh, who was also a compassion-sponsored child, you know, as she grew up, she was the one who led her tour. So she met her in the Kabira slum, and she took them around and showed them everything that day. And I think I think maybe she, they had interacted several other times. But it was Maureen and, and Kristen who partnered together, Maureen in Kenya and Kristen here in the States, to form uh, Mercy House Kenya. I was looking at her blog, reading about this nonprofit that she started, and they were kind of selling some jewelry and just having some ways that they could raise money to just get started. So I had no idea where they were located, but I decided to reach out to her. It felt awkward, but I had a photography background, although not professional. I thought it was okay. (laughs) So I decided to offer to help take product photos. I didn't really expect her to respond, but surprisingly, she did. And she told me that they were only an hour away outside of the suburb of Houston, in a, in a suburb outside of Houston, sorry. So one day we decided to meet halfway at a Chick-fil-A. Our kids played and we just sat and visited and, and got to know each other. I ended up doing some photography and graphic design for Mercy House just whenever it was needed. Uh, we became friends and I traveled to Kenya multiple times. We were a team. I took photos and she blogged, something very similar to what Compassion did. So she was raising raising funds, raising sponsors for girls that would eventually come into the maternity home. Through her blogging and through my photography, we really just were showing what life was like in the slum and what the maternity home looked like and how the girls were experiencing really just healing and hope and learning about the Lord and what he could do in their lives. And the maternity home is not just about being there and letting them have the baby and then they leave. They would, they help them to care for their babies. Many of these girls were just, you know, babies themselves. I mean, 
12, 13, 14, um, very, very young. They had been abused and not cared. When you grow up, grow up and you don't have parents around, you really don't know how to parent. So they were teaching so much more than, oh, this is your baby, care for it. They also did skills. We did sewing, um, jewelry making, all kinds of things. Um, but the most importantly, these girls felt safe and loved. And then they learned about how the Lord loves them. Around this time, we had also decided to make some changes in our church home. It was really hard for both of us, but especially me. I do not like change. I'm not going to lie. I don't like it. I would never say it in an interview, but I hate change. I resisted for a while, but finally I thought, you know what? I really need to submit to what my husband wants to do and just trust his judgment. So shortly after attending this new church, uh, there was a pastor who preached about adoption, or the pastor preached about adoption, and we left the church that day, and we got in the car. It was really strange because... We were just like, huh, that was interesting. Yeah. Do you remember when we used to talk about adoption? Yeah. Maybe we should look into that. Okay. And then we went home. I mean, that was like our short five-minute ride home. And look into it, we did. Ironically, we had a, a new babysitter. And as I drove her home, she mentioned that she had five siblings, which I thought, wow, that's a lot of kids. She told me that three of her siblings were adopted. So the next day, I actually called her mom and spoke with her about the agency they used and um, she just talked so highly of them and how much she loved working with them, so much so that they adopted three times using the same agency. Um, shortly after that conversation, God put Kurt and I on the same page again, and we submitted our application for adoption. At the time, adopting a healthy girl was about a five-year wait. We decided to go with a waiting child. This can mean a variety of things. This can mean the child's missing a finger, or she's deaf, or they have a heart issue, or a cleft lip and palate. Um, it can be severe, or it can be not severe. Um, it, it's just, it's not a perfect child. Let's just put it that way. There might be some issues. And um, our original plan was to adopt a girl that was under three years old. We felt like it was a good fit for our family. But then we actually saw an older girl who was 13 on the site. We watched her video, and there was just something about her that we thought, you know what, maybe... Maybe this is something we could do. We had hosted Chinese students in our church for several years each summer. And so I think God had kind of softened our hearts towards that. And so we moved forward uh, with this 13-year-old girl that was listed on the site. And our agency, because we were adopting out of birth order, made us, and an older child, made us take a course and uh, speak to other families that were doing older child adoption. So the night that we were to take the class, we received a call, phone call from our agency that told us that someone had locked her file. So I was upset. I cried, but Kurt and I talked and we were in the car on the way to my dad's when this call came. But it was, it was fine. I mean, I was upset. My husband just looked at me. He's like, why are you upset? And I just said, because I felt like I had, I had made a decision in my heart that she was going to come home with us. Anyway, so I, he just looked at me like I was crazy. He was like, why are you upset? She has a home. Like, this is the goal. The goal is for children to be adopted. And you have an older child who are, they're much harder, honestly, to, they don't get chosen as often. And so we moved on. We went ahead and did the class that night, but it was not God's plan. She ended up being adopted by the family who locked her file. But at that time, I, you know, had moved on and I could take joy in that. I was happy for her. And then I I did look at it. Okay, we're going to go back to plan A and take a, a child that's under three. Because I wasn't really necessarily interested in older child adoption. I was really interested in her specifically. So we decided to go ahead and praise God through the storm, which Kurt didn't think it was a storm at all. I was just a little, <laughs> I was just a little upset. Um, so we went back to our original plan. 
and we made decisions about the issues our families could handle as far as special needs adoption. So with China, we wouldn't know the issues that our daughter had until we were given a referral. That referral came in September of 2011. We got the call when we were at our adoption small group, which was really fun. I mean, it was back, I say back in the day. I didn't have a phone with, you know, smart capabilities. So I didn't see it. They just said, when you get home, check your email. So I got home and we checked our email and we had um, several photos waiting for us and a description. She had a cleft flip and palate, so we knew she would need multiple surgeries. But again, that's something that we had specified we would be able to handle. We felt like our family could handle. Fast forward six months with the help of family, we headed to China and picked up our daughter. My sister came with us, which was also a blessing. I'm so thankful that she was there. Although she was 26 months, she only weighed 19 pounds. When we came home, we were welcomed in the driveway with a party with friends and family that had gathered to celebrate our homecoming. It was very special. The boys loved on her. They, you know, they were all still young, under six. So anybody knew it was just great. With our, with our kiddos. They were pretty laid back. I think boys are a little bit more laid back. <laughs> Blake was three years old. And the other boys were older. And so they kind of went about their own business. But Blake, Blake kind of hung with her for a little while um, and showed some interest. Her homecoming was fairly smooth. We, you know, we had read all kinds of things and all kinds of issues. But really, the only thing that we had to deal with for the most part was separation anxiety. And it, it was, you know, anytime I left. So anytime I left... I'd come back and I'd ask my husband, oh, how did, how did she do? Oh, she stayed in her room and cried all day. And he's like, she would come out and then she would look at me and start crying and go back to her room. I'm like, okay, just as long as you gave her food. And I mean, we just had to deal with it that way. And eventually it did wane, but it was kind of tough, <laughs> kind of tough at first. In the meantime, I continued to help with Mercy House. Although they weren't paid positions, you know, I, it, I didn't want a full-time job. I was able to do it at my convenience and when it was needed. So it was really great for our family. I believed in the ministry, and I knew so much good came from it. And Kurt and I continued to read books. He, he more than me, um, and I. But I tend to veer towards adoption books. He likes to learn, so I would read about adoption, and he would learn about new things. I don't know. He he just was a book lover. Um, I don't know what it was, but I would read these books, and something in my heart really still thought about adoption, specifically older child adoption. Our agency had a waiting child page. I would look at it every once in a while, you know, maybe every other week, and I would just cry and lament that such a page even existed. It was just sad to me. But I still tortured myself. I would look at it every other week, and I would cry some more, and then I would go about my business. As I looked at the page week after week, um, a little boy caught my eye. He had big, beautiful brown eyes and a big smile. One day, my husband came home, and I was sitting at the bar. I'm a computer looking at the page, just crying. And he's like, what is wrong? And I was like, nothing. I just, I've been looking at this page, and this little boy is on here. He's been on here for like two months. And I showed him, and I just said, could I get his information? Could I just ask about him? And to my surprise, my, my husband said, sure. Well, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, we, we hadn't made any decisions. We were just, you know, mulling the idea. And, um, but again, I felt like God put us on the same page. I felt like, um, he could have easily said, no, we're not doing this. We've already done it once. We have four kids, but he didn't. He, he said, yes, we got his information. We prayed and prayed some more. And then it was a very short process. We just, again, like God aligned our hearts and we just pressed forward. We just were like, okay, let's, Let's do this. We can do this. So this adoption looked different for our family. We had a three-year-old, four, six, and nine-year-olds. So three boys, and then my youngest was our daughter. And this young boy was eight. 
So this meant we were adopting out of birth order, which some agencies don't allow, but I told y'all ours did. We just had to kind of, we had to do a course and they just want you to be aware of some of the things that can maybe pose a problem when you're adopting out of birth order or when you're adopting an older child as well. We spoke to several families that did older child adoption and they were actually very, very encouraging. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, oh, they want me to talk to them because something horrible happened. No, it was, they were all very successful, happy um, family stories. So that, that was a comfort. And I think that was just another thing that helped us decide, okay, you know, they can do it. We can do it. After those things were done, we still felt that the Lord was calling us to bring this boy home to be part of our family. We moved forward with the next steps. Uh, this adoption took about 14 to 15 months, which was very similar to my daughter's. He was paper ready and he was an older child adoption. So paper ready, meaning he had been waiting for a long time. They already had, when I say paper ready, some of the paperwork done, not, not all. <laughs> So that helped shorten the process somewhat. Our first trip was in April of 2014. We went to meet him, and then we had to bring him to the capital city. And that's just how the adoption works in in Ethiopia. So we also decided to take our son through it. We felt like it would be good for him to have a playmate and just make him feel more comfortable. And this, like I said, this was totally different and new Uh, with our daughter. She was like a baby, whereas this just like a big boy. (laughs) We just felt like Truett uh, is also one of our easygoing kids. He can be friends with anybody. And he can make a game out of anything. And he just had a, a, a great attitude. just easy to get along with. So it worked out really well. It gave Truett some insight where his brother was coming from. It allowed him and Bear to kind of form a bond somewhat. I think they're probably still to this day the closest with each other out of all my kids. Or that's who Bear, I should say, is the closest with. And it just allowed him to see another world as well. Like We were grateful for that. Um, so we went up north to, to meet him. And then we came back down to the capital city of Addis. Our son would stay in Addis in a transition home. Uh, that's how they do it with, with kiddos, especially older kiddos. We came with a couple other families. We all didn't travel together, but once we got to Addis, we did travel together. So we all came back to the capital city with our kids. It was a little bit of a show. And a lot of people were staring at us in the airport. <laughs> and then we had the older kids. They would run into the bathroom and then they would put their hands under the, the dryer. And it would automatically come on. And so they would just keep going back to the bathroom and washing their hands and, and turning on the dryer. We didn't know what they were doing. I said, like, go see what they're doing. And he's like, oh, they're just playing with the hand dryer. I was like, oh, okay. Lots of new firsts that would happen. And I just saw that and I thought, oh, is this going to be so fun to just all the news? I mean, everything was going to be so new and different for him. I thought, oh, this is going to be so fun. And it was. It was fun. Anyway, we had a few days in Addis, and one afternoon, they would take the kids back to the transition home. We had one of the other families ask us if we wanted to go to Cora. Cora means cursed, and it is the area that's around the local trash dump. Kurt's like, let's go. And I was like, let's not. I mean, why would I want to go to the trash dump? And I don't know. I just I was like, why are they asking us if we want to go here? And uh, I also we also had Truett, and I thought, well, what is he going to see? What, what's going to happen? I don't know. And my husband just looked at me. He's like, what else are we going to do? And I'm like, I don't know, not go to the trash dump. But I reluctantly agreed. And we, when we arrived, we came, they had a van. So several families went. And when we rolled up in Decora, there had been the scene that we saw was homes that were makeshift, but several of them had been burned down. So there had been a fire recently there. And a lot of people, there were some organizations handing out mattresses and doing some other things. Uh, to help these families. And a gentleman came up to us and introduced himself. Uh, One of the families we were with actually knew him. So he offered to show us around Cora and we agreed. 
This man was also a compassion-sponsored child growing up. He had been to school, uh, but he decided to stay in Cora and help the community. He, along with his brother and another gentleman, were there helping that day. So that's how we met them. Uh, he took the tour. He took us on a tour, uh, just kind of showed us around and showed us what the average home looked like. It was. It did feel a little awkward, but I'm glad he did it because it really opened my eyes. And my son was with me, and I got to see reality for these people who lived there in this community. I had lots of questions. Uh, he asked me if we were sponsors of children, and I said yes. And that's when compassion came up. And at this point, I had actually met three of my compassion kids. I met one um, in Honduras. And then we, I've met two in Kenya. So uh, we had a lot to talk about. That's when he told me he was a compassion child growing up and just how much it had changed his life. And uh, at the end of our tour, we ended up at their, their center. It was basically some logs with tarp over it. <laughs> and it was big. It, it fit quite a few people, maybe as big as this room. He explained that that's where they do their tutoring and their Bible study for the kids that are in their program. So that was very interesting. And then there were also a, a group of small, small group of women in there making jewelry. So they were doing clay bead jewelry. They make the clay beads under the ground. It's like they fire it and then they bury it in the sand. It was very interesting. And they had made all kinds of jewelry. And I think Nati, our friend who was showing us around, he, he knows that Americans will buy. So he brought us there to meet these women and to really just support them and, and, and buy some of their jewelry. So we did. And as we left, we exchanged information. They're like, are you on Facebook? So I said, yes. And so I gave him his, our information. Um, our son was with us. So that night we went back and we're processing everything and just kind of having conversations with him as well. And the lights went out and I just cried. It was heartbreaking to see what we saw. So our time came to leave our son at the transition home. We would soon return to bring him back to the States, but we had to wait for his visa to be ready. That's about a five to six week process. You don't know when, you don't know where, but we're going to tell you. And then two days later, you need to be here. <laughs> After we returned home, we busied ourselves with everyday life. The guys we met had contacted us and we had decided to sponsor two children in their program. Uh, we had two little girls that followed us around that day, like followed us around. One was about four feet tall and she had a baby on her back. Like all I could see was the little feet sticking out on her sides and she was the babysitter for the day. You know, her mom was off working. And so she had this baby and, you know, they don't carry an ergo. <laughs> they just put them on their back, strap them on with fabric and, and off you go. So we thought, you know what, maybe we can help that family and then in the other family. So there were two girls. We had, when we told them we'd like to sponsor these girls, they said, yay, you're, you're our first sponsor. I was like, what? thought you had a program. Um, and they're like, well, we do. We do Bible study and, and we help with tutoring, but we don't have any finances. So we're not able to help these kids go to school. We're not able to provide them with anything physically, but we just help them help them the best way we can without finances. And, and that's how they did it. So at that point, we also offered to buy tables and chairs. So we were happy to be able to get them off the dirt floor. And we felt like, you know, we had been there and we had seen it. So we knew where it was going. And I would be back in six weeks and we'd be able to visit again. And I don't know, it's kind of when you give and then you actually get to see it, it, it's kind of like a rewarding feeling. I think it just kind of makes you feel good. And so, um, six weeks later we got the call, we booked our tickets like a few days in advance and we took off this time. It was just me and my older son. So at the time, I believe my oldest son was, he was about 11. He and I flew to Addis, and we actually met one other family there at the time. Uh, all the babies had already been taken back home. They processed their visas faster. 
and we had to wait. So it was great to have our son in our custody. He was able to stay with us in our hotel room until we left. Even there, we had some fun firsts, um, using the bathroom, taking a shower, airplane rides. Yes, it was, it was interesting. He, he, the first ride that we took from Addis and our first trip from Addis to, I mean, from McKelly to Addis was only an hour. So when we got, we began to travel home, you know, a year or two later, my son told me, he's like, you know, I only thought that trip was going to be like the first one, like an hour. He's like, and it was like never ending. (laughs) We got off the plane and he thought, oh, we're home. And then no, we got back on another plane in London and flew another 10 hours. That's another thing that is is interesting just to hear what he says sometimes years after an event's happened (laughs) to fill me in on what he was thinking. Anyway, so we were just thankful that he was able to stay with us. We were also able to visit uh, the two children that we sponsored. We went to their homes and we had brought some, you know, clothing and just some things for them to have. We also went to the center and saw the tables and chairs, met with the women again, and just just did a visit one day. We offered to take the guys out to dinner. So we went to a traditional Ethiopian restaurant where they have music and cultural dancing. And it's it's so fun. I go every time I'm there. But it's a lot of fun. So we took these guys out to eat. And it was there over dinner that they asked me if we would partner with them and help them run the program. I was not surprised that they asked me because we had been in touch. And when we offered a sponsor, they mentioned, oh, we have we have no help. So in the back of my mind, I think it was something that was floating around. But I told them that I would be in touch. <laughs> and because honestly, in my head, I thought, I can't, I cannot do this right now. And obviously, I wanted to talk to Kurt about it. So I just told them we would be in touch and that we would pray about it. There was a voice inside of me saying, no way. I'm busy. I'm bringing home my fifth child that doesn't speak English. I work with Mercy House. I got no time. I had a lot of excuses, obviously. Um, when we returned home again, though, uh, life picked up again, and I kind of just set it on the back burner. I didn't answer. I didn't. I was thinking about it, but we came home. We had another driveway party. Um, y'all, if you've ever known somebody who's adopted, driveway parties are the best. Um, it's just so fun to have friends who supported us throughout our journey, just to be there. And even if they're there for like two minutes, it's just fun to bring our son home. And we had, this was during the day. So actually a lot more people showed up. Our other one was a nighttime thing and it was kind of difficult, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It brought a lot of joy to me and I think to my family too. Um, so when we returned, it was actually summertime. Summer had just began. Our kids were out of school and this turned out to be really great timing for us. Our son was immersed in our family full time, uh, which helped learning the language really, but also helped him just see how our family worked without that breakup of school and um, just see how we functioned. Uh, life was busy. I was still helping with Mercy House. And as it happened, I had already had a trip planned to Kenya before I even knew when I was leaving, you know, to go to, to Addis to pick him up. And so I kept my commitment and I went ahead and went to Kenya. It was about for about a week and a half. So after that, I came home. Um, he had a little bit of adjustment issues while I was gone. And uh, turns out later he thought that another one of those things that I kind of hear years later, he thought that I was in Ethiopia and that I was going to send him home. So that broke my heart because he was very teary when we did Zoom, not Zoom, but, you know, FaceTimed or whatever. And he didn't speak English, so he couldn't say what was making him sad. I just thought he missed his mom, but it wasn't so much that. <laughs> when I got back, everything really honestly seemed seemed fine. And I guess he realized he was staying. <laughs> so... We moved on past that. Um, in the summer, he flourished. His language flourished. And he had many new firsts. Ice cream, holding frogs, riding a bike. 
even just a bath, never taking a bath. So that was fun. Riding a bike was very interesting. He was like a hundred pound child who'd never ridden a bike. I bought some, you know, training wheels and he gets on it and the bike like totally bends over. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's not going to work. I mean, and of course I just said, you have to wait for dad to get home. And Kurt went got home and he rode his bike in like two minutes. So I was like, but you're too heavy. I can't run and hold you up. So anyway, that was interesting. That was a fun first. Of course, he had never had his own bike. So to have his very own bike was fun. He was more comfortable in our home, testing boundaries, voicing his displeasure about going to school. Uh, let's just say the honeymoon phase was over and real life was in full effect. Uh, lots happening in the house. And here I was contemplating starting a nonprofit. It was to say I was overwhelmed was an understatement. I was really anguished over the decision. I sought advice and counsel from friends. I met with my pastor, uh, family. Uh, Kurt and I prayed and we just prayed for God to give us an answer. I wanted an answer because I wanted to feel like if I said no, it was okay, that God was okay with that. And then if I got a yes, or if I said yes, that God was going to, you know, provide financially. So I need, I need to know either way, you know, let me know what's going on. <laughs> so that was, it was hard for me because I felt like there was a part of me who honestly, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want any more responsibility. And I thought, well, how long do I have to do it? What happens when I can't do it? What happens if I fail? What happens? You know, I just had all these what ifs in my head and, and I just wanted to be at peace about it, but I wasn't. I just had that uneasy feeling in my being. So we, we just continued to pray and, um, and wait for an answer. And Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's it, really. Love God and love people. Um, I'm going to read you a little excerpt from this book. It says, Quite intentionally, Jesus then linked the second command, greatest commandment to the first by saying, And the second is like it. In other words, loving our neighbor as ourselves is like loving God with all of our being. So then, Jesus equated loving our neighbors with loving God. If we truly love God, he was saying we will express it by loving our neighbors. And when we truly love our neighbors, it expresses our love for God. The two loves are interconnected and intertwined. And I had gone back to this book. I don't know why. I just thought, huh, this guy didn't want to do it. He was felt like he was being led to do. And I, I just went back to it because I really, it, it's just such a great book. And through that, through prayer, through God's word, um, we felt like God was giving us an opportunity to love our neighbors, to love people a world away. We could connect those in need with families here that have much to share and much to give. I went from feeling like I knew no one to knowing that if God wanted us here, he would make it work. And in his time and in his way, it, it might not look how I had pictured it, but it wasn't my thing. This this path that we have been on for seven years now, we, we did end up starting the nonprofit. And it's been seven years. And it turns out I do know people. <laughs> uh, I do know generous people, people who are willing to support us financially. There's people in this room who do. Um, and just to give and walk with us on this journey. In turn, uh, they get to see lives change and God touches them as well. That's my prayer that through, you know, some people think, oh, it's just giving money. And that's, I don't want to just give money. I want to be involved. It's very hard when you have something that's overseas, but when you get to see pictures or, or hear about it, it really is personal. And it's not just money because it means so much more to them than money. They're not getting handed money. They're getting handed things that they they truly need. One of our biggest hurdles when we started the nonprofit was needing a vehicle. So 
we began to look at vehicles. They were very overpriced and very old. <laughs> so I was just, the American part of me was like, what? I'm going to pay that much for that old car. But that's just how it is. So it's either you get a vehicle there or you don't. So we were looking through this and the guys would send me stuff. And it's probably, I think we raised, we needed $30,000. We were buying a 15-year-old van for $30,000. And <laughs> we decided to, to pray about it and see, see what we could do. What can we do to to raise this money? That to me, y'all seemed like an overwhelming number. I mean, $30,000 is a lot of money. Um, we ended up starting a fundraiser using a, a website where people could just, we could share and, and guide people to so that they could donate. And uh, people, we had friends who would share on social media. If they had blogs, they would share on their blogs. People near and far gave and we were blown away. God showed up. Um, we raised the full amount in less than two weeks. And I was amazed. God has answered so many prayers since that day. But one thing for me um, that's been very freeing is just to know that if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. I can beg and ask people for money, but it doesn't matter because God's going to move people to give. And uh, it's in His control. You know, if He's calling us to do something, He will see it through. Uh, we just have to be willing. The small group of women also yeah, that I told you guys about, they were making jewelry. So through my connection with Mercy House, we were able to buy them sewing machines and teach them new skills. And they began to make other products outside of the jewelry line. Um, they made this blanket here. And through Mercy House, we were able to make product for Fair Trade Friday for several years, which gave these women skills and an income. We no longer participate, but uh, just to give these women that step up and help them to provide for their families when they um, had a need was also a blessing. Um, our family in 2018 uh, took a trip to Ethiopia. Our children were able to see what we do there. Our kids are involved in small ways. You know, it, it is overseas, so it's not something that you can, not a whole lot you can tangibly do here. Um, they would, they stamp and address Christmas cards. And if we have things to put together, they'll put it together. And so I, I like to involve them in the ways I can, but it was just a beautiful culmination of what we began to do with compassion so many years back. Instead of looking at a compassion magazine, they were there walking into the home that was probably about the size of their bedroom here in the States. They were witnessing the hospitality of those with so much less, feeding our family of seven dinner, delivering beds to families that slept on the floor. And these were just some of the things that we did there. Each month, we do a monthly distribution where we give families in our program um, pasta and some other like oil, cooking necessities, spices, and some hygiene items as well. And you have to weigh and measure everything. So the guys go and get these huge bags of pasta and grain and whatever. So one Saturday, our whole family, that's all we did for the whole day was we weighed and measured out all these bags, bagged it all up, set it aside. And we have a hundred and I don't know how many we had then. We have about 142 families. It was children sponsored, but we really do come alongside the family as well. So our children were able to be involved in that. I do believe that when we follow God and obey, he does reward us. It, it might not look like what we expect, or it might not be financially or or immediate. But I really do think that that was a reward for our family. We got to go to Ethiopia. Um, God made it financially possible. And it was just beautiful. I know as my kids grow up and everybody starts to go their own way, that, that was probably a once in a lifetime trip. And I'm just really grateful God allowed it. And um, when I look back, I can see how God really weaved the fabric of my life just so with all the people that came into my life in certain times, for some time, some for a small time, and some that are still in my life. He weaved it in a way that has me exactly where I am today. I struggle like everyone, but my desire is to live a life that's characterized by Christ's concern for the poor. Every time I go to Cora, I pray that God will continue to break my heart for what breaks His. I never want to be indifferent to the needs of others. I never imagined myself taking trips across the globe to be in a garbage dump. But that's what it is. 
And I've learned that if you want to walk with God, you might not end up where you expected or with the people you expected. But it's there that God meets us and that we'll see Him do a great work. You know, I mentioned in the beginning that our family as well has adopted our daughter from China. And so listening to Suzanne's story was really had me reflecting a lot on our own journey of when you adopt from China, you are choosing the special needs you feel like your family can handle. And while you share all those details out loud, they may not make sense to all of you that have not adopted to me, I was right there with her mm. remembering those moments and the driveway party, yeah. you know, in Birmingham, we would do those at the airport, mm. but it's a place where families can come and support you and be so excited while you're bringing this child into your family and teaching them how to be a part of family. And so, so much of those details of Suzanne's story, I was like, oh gosh, it's been 10 years. Yeah. I remember that and that and that. Well, um, it was super educational for someone who had never, you know, walked through adopting internationally, mm-hmm. especially. I tell you what, I loved that the reference to the book, The Hole in the Gospel. I read it so many years ago before I went on a oh. mission trip Yeah, to uh, Swaziland, which is now Eswatini in Africa. But, um, but, you know, the main thing, the main message in that book which is really the theme of her whole story is just loving and serving others mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And the importance of recognizing, hey, we're not called to like save souls. That's the Holy Spirit's job, but we are called to serve and to love others well. And wow, did Suzanne do it not only through mm-hmm. adoption, but through all of the different calls that God had placed on her life as well. That's what just challenged me is, am I doing enough? Lindy, what about you? No, no, no. I totally agree. That's what I was going to say. I found this rather convicting. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the adoption part was very interesting Interesting. to me because that is so foreign for me. However, this was very convicting and such a gentle reminder of the Holy Spirit, especially this time of year in in giving, is just for those who are financially blessed, for those who have more, we are called to give more. Mm -hmm. We are called to look for those in need, to serve needs, and to serve others, whether that's financially, through time, through resources, whatever it is. I just love Suzanne's spirit, and I really loved, as a parent, how she continues to create opportunities for her children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when she was when, when uh, she took her oldest son, well, Truett and the older son, to Ethiopia, they were able to get outside of this yeah. cushy, yeah. <laughs> comfortable, soft little marshmallow world <laughs> called America and see something beyond them themselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, kind of to that point, she talked about how the timing for them to start this ministry didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we've talked a ton about rest this whole season, mm-hmm. about stepping back and and resting. And sometimes the Lord calls us to a lot all at once that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so she is saying yes to this ministry while bringing home a child. And that's a difficult thing to bring home, especially an older child into your family and teach them about family, you know, all the all the stress that comes with that. And yet God was calling them to more. Yeah. And she trusted him by saying, okay, God, if you want this to happen, then it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to stress over it. I'm not going to lose sleep. I know that if you are calling us to this, you will also provide. And how sweet of the Holy Spirit. I mean, she specifically said that God aligned her and her husband's heart. Yes. And, you know, I was saying to Robin and uh, Lindy before we started recording, I said, isn't it amazing that her husband wasn't a believer when they met? And and, and both Robin and Lindy were like, no, that didn't happen. I said, yes, it did. Which is just so crazy how God can just work in someone's heart and change them. And I'm going to tell you, we, we always laugh about how God lines 
opens up our stories. If you want to hear a story about how God changed the life of another husband, you really want to tune in next week as well. It's crazy how God lines he is. up these He always these lines them up. We're so pretty. always surprised, but it's totally the Lord. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's one little thing in one story that then goes to the next and leads to the next. Well, y'all, thank you so much for listening. We hope that you're having a wonderful holiday season with Christmas around the corner. Hopefully you can share these stories to listen with friends while they shop or while you're baking or while you're doing whatever it is while you're Christmas partying at your kid's school. (laughs) Whatever it is, uh, we are so thankful for you this season. And we are so thankful when you share and pass our stories along. So have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.